one year once um, with, a couple, with a real tall couple. This was back in the church in Iowa, and there was going to be standing here. So I built a box Saturday morning. I went out to my shop and I built a little box that I could stand on so I could sort of at least, you know, they're standing here and, and the congregation, they wouldn't know anybody was back here. So <laughs> It's time to dismiss our children for Children's Church. And um, then it's time for me to take advantage of this um, second Sunday in a row that I have to uh, speak to you folks. And uh, so... Um, here we are. Uh, Pastor Jim, by the way, is uh, at the Snohomish Evangelical Free Church today, filling in for Pastor Jeff. Jeff Sickles is the man that spoke to us so effectively at our men's retreat back a number of months back. And, uh, and he's on vacation, and he asked for somebody to come over. And Pastor Jim and I talked about it, and uh, we didn't flip a coin, but he said... Um, I'd really like to go over and get acquainted with that congregation in Snohomish. I've had opportunity on several occasions to preach over there, so that's what's going on. He's over there and uh, speaking to that congregation and gives me that chance for a second shot at you folks. Um, We're considering again today the topic of evangelism. Last Sunday, we thought together on the subject, evangelism bringing people to Christ. And today the topic is evangelism bringing Christ to people. Now, the purpose of our personal efforts at evangelism should be, should be to help people to know how it is that God has made provision for them to come into a saving relationship with him, giving them opportunity to put their faith in Christ. Occasionally, People respond immediately, but far more often a decision for Christ comes after repeated exposure to the gospel. Uh, A great story emerged some years ago out of the Promise Keepers movement, and uh, I'd like to read it to you. It appeared in a publication in the Minneapolis area, and you'll notice this guy uh, talks about going to Promise Keepers at the Metrodome, and... uh, That's a long time, quite a long time, quite a few years ago. But anyway, here's what he says. He says, when a friend offered me a ticket to the Promise Keepers Conference at the Metrodome, my wife strongly objected to my going. She had read negative publicity in the newspaper concerning the event and literally begged me not to attend. I almost decided to forget the idea and stay home with her so as not to create dissension between us. But on Friday, I left with my friend for the conference. His wife called my wife to encourage her to tune in on the radio during the, the live broadcast so that she would know better what was going on and what I was indeed hearing. Well, this man goes on and he says, that evening... God worked in my heart, and I went forward when the invitation was given to receive Christ. At home, my wife listened to the same message and the same invitation. I arrived home that Friday night to find her weeping in the darkness. I sat down next to her. 
I took her hand and I said I had something to share with her about what I had experienced that evening. Her response was, no, dear, I have something I have to tell you. And she, too, had responded to Christ and asked him into her heart. Her response, uh, um, amidst, amidst tears of joy, we related our individual stories of salvation to each other. We then called my friend and spent the next hour on the phone with each other, laughing and weeping about how God had used the evening in ways only he could, could prearrange. Whether that couple's decisions were the culmination of long-term exposure to the gospel or mud, more sudden than that, we, we don't know. But what a wonderful experience for both of them to have uh, made that decision in two different settings at the same time. In our efforts at evangelism, we need to be ready always to cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit as he leads people in the direction of repentance and faith. Those decisions may come about quite suddenly or after a long period of exposure. Our place is to live a consistent Christian life, to speak the truth of the gospel as opportunity arises, and to trust the Lord for the results. Now, the big idea, as you see it on your sermon notes there in the bulletin today, is this. If evangelism is every Christian's job, and it is, and let me just give you a verse of scripture that verifies the fact that evangelism is every Christian's job. I mean, we're looking at a passage today uh, written to Timothy, who was uh, a pastor. But um, in 1 Peter 3.15, it says this. I think I can quote it. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Be ready. This is, Peter writes to everybody. He's not just writing as Paul is in his, in this case, writing to a pastor. Peter writes to all believers and says, be ready always to give an answer to those who ask you for a reason of your hope. So if evangelism is every Christian's job, and it is, then where Paul tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist, we can discover a pattern that we may follow in carrying out that responsibility. Now, here's a passage that we're going to be looking at today. It's from uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's uh, verses 1 through 5. And uh, like we've been doing lately, uh, let's, let's read this passage together, shall we? There's more to come. It's uh, down through verse 5. So, and our focus today is only going to be on verse 2 and on verse 5, but I wanted you to see it in the whole context. Let's read it together. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. 
As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. As I say, um, Timothy... See, Timothy is, is being urged, and uh, yeah, we're back in the first couple of verses there. Timothy is being urged to be obedient in the presence of God, who is the ultimate judge and ruler of the universe. Now, as I mentioned, Timothy is a pro. He's a pastor. And um, not all of us are professionals. And I, I don't like that word professionals. I, I use that kind of... You know, I don't like the term full-time Christian servant because we should all be full-time Christian servants, shouldn't we? But there are those that are set apart for ministry, like pastors and missionaries and evangelists and those who, have, who are able to, by the generosity of the people who support them, give their whole life and their whole time over to, to, to these things. And Timothy was one of those people. But... I want to suggest that if evangelism is every Christian's job, that the instructions here are applicable to all of us. There's a, uh, a legend, and notice it is a legend that uh, comes from a long ways back, and it's, it tells of how Jesus was received in heaven after his death and resurrection. One of the angels, according to this legend, came to him, and said, you must have suffered terribly for sin for men down in the world? Jesus answered, I did. Uh, but do all men know, said the angel, how, you, how much you loved them and suffered for them? No, said Jesus, only a few men in the land of Palestine know about it. Well, what have you done, asked the angel, to let other people know about it? Jesus answered, I told Peter and James and John to tell the others and the others to tell the others until all men know the story of how much I love them. On hearing this, the angel was doubtful. But what will happen, he said, if Peter and James and John forget? What if they fail to tell the others? What then? Back came the response of Jesus, I haven't made any other plans. I'm counting on them. And if he is counting on them, he is counting on those of us who follow in their train. And over the centuries, we who have heard the Christian message continue to have that responsibility and that opportunity to share the gospel with the people around us. That's all part of evangelism. Now, I want to look at this, uh, if you're following it in the notes, uh, under four headings. First of all, we'll talk about the evangelist's authority. You see, immediately Timothy says to, in, uh, Paul says to Timothy in verse 2, preach the word. Now, in the context for this statement, the context for this passage, the immediately preceding verses are these. At the end of 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says to Timothy, verse 15, he says, from childhood, you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And then he goes on and says, I solemnly charge you, 
preach the word. The word of God is powerful. The word of God is is that which is available for, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, for everything that we need, all the truth that we need to know. It's there in the word of God. So Paul says, first of all, to Timothy, if you're going to do the work of an evangelist, preach the word. When I was a young man, in fact, uh, it was... Uh, I remember it was before I went into the army. I had spent the, uh, some time in college, and I was pretty uncertain about my direction in life. But about the time I had completed three years of college, I was fairly convinced that God was calling me into the ministry. And I remember when I went up, before I went off to the service, before and after I was spent a couple years in the army, then I ended up back in seminary and so on. But my my hopes and ambitions were toward ministry. And I remember our pastor, Pastor H.B. Prince, great guy, great man of God. And he'd been my pastor all of my life. And uh, he served for 30-some years in that in my home church. And he took me aside and he says, Dave, preach the word. Remember, you get into the ministry, preach the word. And I thought... And I had grown up under his ministry, and he was a man who preached the word. I thought then, and I think now, what else is there? What other reason would a person have to stand behind a pulpit and do anything other than preach the word? But then, you know, I went off in the army, and I went to some places and got out of my little cocoon that, uh, in which I'd been brought up. And I went to other churches, and I found out there are a lot of places where they weren't preaching the word. There was a church in Texas that I attended for a time when I was in the army. I, I regret it now, but I, I, you know, I was a draftee. I was drafted. Didn't like the army. I was there against my will, but anyway. And so anytime you could put on the civvies and go to town, you'd do it. I, I fought back, and it would have been good, and would have been better for my testimony, I think, to get involved in a chapel on the base with other servicemen. But I didn't do that. I went to a civilian church, and there was one church where I went for quite some time. And the pastor would typically, at the beginning of the sermon, he had a big pulpit Bible, he would read his text, was maybe a verse or two, and then he would sort of ceremoniously close the Bible, and then he'd preach. And most of the time, that was the last Bible that we heard. And I got exposed to some preaching where they weren't preaching the word. And I was, I was hearing psychology and hearing book reports and, and political commentary. And so I, Timothy says, or Paul says to Timothy, preach the word. And finally, the advice of my pastor made sense to me. So the word of God needs to be the focal point. That's the truth. And in our work as an evangelist. And I hope we all see that there's an importance there. We should be about trying to bring other people to the Lord. Preach the word. Speak the word. You know, preach is a, declare the word. Maybe it's a better word because preach has a, has a preachy tone to it. And you think of somebody behind a pulpit and that's not necessarily it. It's declare, make a declaration of the word of God. The second thing I see here is the evangelist's readiness. Because he goes on and he says, be ready in season and out of season. 
Now, I think what he means, and the commentaries are pretty much in agreement with me, that in season talks about those kind of planned situations, those opportunities that we have is to teach a Bible class or it's to, or to meet with somebody for coffee or, or whatever it is, and, and it's planned. So in season, in those planned situations, um, be ready to proclaim God's word. I, uh, I have uh, a list of what I call my pre-Christians, people in my life that I would love to see come to Christ and that I am praying for, that opportunities might come for me or others to share the gospel with them and praying that those people will come to Christ. Do you have that kind of a list in your mind or on paper or something? I think that's a good thing for all of us as believers to have a list of people. It doesn't have to be very long. My list is not very long, but there are people that I have a connection with who as far as I know are not believers and I'd, I'd love to see them come to Christ and I'm praying for them with some regularity. Do you do that? Do it in season. That's kind of the organized things. But then out of season, I think those are the kind of spontaneous situations that arise. And those, you know, sudden unplanned meetings with people and opportunities to, you know, I'm not in favor of our being obnoxious. I'm not in favor of our every time we are next to somebody, we sort of grab them by the lapels, you know, are you saved and that sort of thing. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about being open to the guidance of the Holy Spirit who opens up opportunities for us to speak about that which is most important to us. And out of season, in those spontaneous situations, I believe we need... We need to be ready, and we need to pray about those. Now, there is on the counter, out on the, um, in the foyer, uh, a sheet of paper. Um, some months ago, we did a session in ABF on evangelism. And I was asked by Pastor Jim to do that, and I put together a sheet that, uh, of helps, and I've expanded on that a little bit. Some of you got the original sheet. This is the, this is the uh, revised and improved edition. Um, I just added a little bit to it. But some helps as to how we can present the gospel. I think each of us as believers should be able to clearly articulate what it means to be saved. And I've got, I've got here, uh, you know, the four spiritual laws which uh, Campus Crusade had used for so long. And uh, the steps to peace with God, which our Bible instruction class uh, kids learn and, and has been used by the Billy Graham Foundation for a long time. But um, other, other little hints as to how best, you know, the little, little bridge illustration and so on. Uh, there's uh, some copies of that on the, uh, on the, in the foyer. So, uh, uh, pick one up. I hope it's helpful to you. For example, there's a little, the most simple way I know to, to present the gospel in a nutshell. If you just have a few minutes, it's the ABCs of salvation. Somebody has called it. A, admit that you are a sinner. Romans 3.23 says all, starts with an A, have sinned and come short of the glory of God. B is believe that Jesus provides the remedy. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, is the word that Paul gave to the Philippian jailer. The C is confess. Confess your faith in Jesus as your Savior. Romans 10.9 says, if we confess with our mouth, confess, see, and believe with our heart, God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. I mean, that's the gospel. 
And by the way, if there's anybody listening here right now, and you're saying, I really don't know the plan of salvation. Well, there it is. A, B, C. Admit you're a sinner. Believe Jesus provides the remedy and confess your faith in Christ as your Savior. That's the that's a very abbreviated but accurate presentation of the gospel. Well, let's look on. Um, in the fourth place, I want us to think in terms of the evangelist's message. And here, in, as verse 2 uh, continues, we have reprove, rebuke, and exhort um, with complete patience and teaching. And I would like to suggest that our message, the message of the evangelist, must be bold you know, reprove and rebuke are, uh, are pretty strong words. Uh, and it's been said so many times, you know, before the gospel can be good news, it must be bad news. The bad news is we are all sinners. And I believe in our witness for Christ, we need to start with the fact that we're sinners. If we say you need to be saved, the, the response is saved from what? And, and we need to help people to see that, that they are sinners and their sin has uh, alienated them from God. So the, the reprove and the rebuke and then the exhort is more of, a, of an encouraging term um, and so on. That needs to be part of the boldness. The evangelist must be bold. He must speak boldly. And we must not hedge on this opportunity to remind people that the need is that we are sinners. The, the evangelist must also be patient. His message must exhibit patience. And, and to demonstrate that, let me just read from Isaiah chapter 55. These words, I can find it here. I know it's here someplace. Isaiah 55, that uh, we see in, uh, in verse 10, uh, God speaks through Isaiah the prophet and says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the manner for which I send it. Now I think the point here is that he says the rain and the snow, they come down. They don't all come at once, you know. The, the farmer plants his field and the rains come. And then the sunshine comes and then there's more rain. And, and over the period of time, the farmer patiently waits for the crop to emerge. And God says, my word is that way. It goes from my mouth. It's not going to return from me empty. And I believe we have to claim God's promise that his word is effective as we share it with the people. If you're going to share it, you've got to know it. If you're going to know it, you've got to study it. Pay attention. We should take this. We should be serious about this. So, and the, the third thing I see here is that our teaching, the message of the evangelist, must be sound. We, we uh, must be truthful, uh, biblically correct, and um, dependent upon the Holy Spirit. There's no room in evangelism for, uh, for uh, oh, manipulation. We can't be, you know, using some kind of manipulation to try to bring people to Christ. No, no, through sound teaching 
it must be done. Hebrews 4.12 says this, the word of God is living and active and um, um, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now notice that it's the word of God that gets into the very center of a person's being and does its work and will not return to him void. The word needs to be given out in order that it can do its job. Okay. Finally, a word about the evangelist's character. And that takes us to verse 5. Skipping over, because we don't have time to deal with this whole passage, but I'm thinking about the evangelist, and here we have some words about his character. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. You know, I got to thinking, and some notes that I had written to myself a long time ago that I went back to and reread reminded me that I made the comment in this passage of uh, made reference uh, a page or two back in in Second um, Timothy chapter two. Paul gives three analogies. He talks about. A soldier, he talks about an athlete, and he talks about a farmer. Now, notice, I'm going to read from uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. He says, Paul says, no soldier, no, verse 3, verse 3. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Then he changes the, the metaphor, and he says, the, um, and if, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he complete, competes according to the rules. And then a third analogy, and the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And I can't help but think that Paul, who writes, is, this is all in this letter that he writes to Timothy, isn't when he says these words, thinking back about the soldier and the athlete and the farmer, as a soldier is sober-minded, not distracted by civilian concerns, as an athlete endures harsh rigors of physical training, as a farmer patiently does his work, expecting a crop to be produced, so the evangelist, every believer, is to live and thus fulfill his ministry. So think of yourself. Think of that analogy. The soldier, the athlete, the farmer. Think of how they approach their tasks and apply it, if you're serious, Apply it to the task of sharing, of bringing Christ to, Jesus, to, to people. So, the big idea, if evangelism is every believer's job, then in these instructions to Timothy, there is valid information about our authority, our readiness, our message, and our character. Let me give you one more story. Got to tell some stories. Didn't have a poem today, sorry. Um, 
I, in fact, I have two stories. I skipped over something I, I definitely wanted to say about boldness and about our being bold. See, many of you uh, remember the name Charles Spurgeon, a powerful preacher of a bygone day and who had, has had, continues to have great influence. C.H. Spurgeon rebelled against God's ways while he was in his teens. And one day, his godly mother sat him down and said this, Charles, it's hard for me to say this, but I must, if you continue in your godless ways, and if I one day am witness to your standing before God and hearing him say, depart from me, I never knew you, I will be compelled to say amen to that because I am God-centered and you are not. That's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? Spurgeon later told that this bold statement of his mother had a very compelling impact upon his life and was a factor in his turning his life over to Christ. Let's not be afraid to be bold when we're speaking the truth. But here's the one more little story. Pastor Jim says, you know, you tell so many stories. And I say, you should tell more stories. I don't have to say, don't tell him I said that, because he may very well listen to this, you know. (laughs) He and I have, uh, I love that man. We are so fortunate to have Pastor Jim here in our midst. Godly man. And uh, we have have some good times together. And we talk about our sermons together. And he'll, he'll tell me, probably Tuesday, if he's had a chance to listen to this, we'll sit down and he'll say, you know, Dave, you crammed too much in there. But here's the story. This comes from the, this. This comes from back in those days when we used to hitchhike. You know, when I was young, I did a fair, people, guys that are my age. I did a fair amount of hitchhiking, and uh, I remember a 600-mile trip when I was in basic training, and we had a chance to go home for Thanksgiving. Another buddy and I it was. It was the most miserable, probably 18 hours of my life. But um, but we got there. Okay, a young Christian man was hitchhiking in Indiana, westbound. He was picked up by a businessman from Chicago. And as they traveled together, the young man told the driver of his new life in Christ. It soon became obvious that the man was deeply under the conviction of his sin. It probably was not the first time that he'd heard the gospel. And after talking further, they finally pulled off the road and they prayed together and the driver gave his heart to Christ. That's one of those spontaneous situations. When they parted, the businessman glowingly thanked his friend and gave him his card saying, if you're ever in the Windy City, look me up. For two and a half years, that young man kept that card. And finally, he went to Chicago And arriving at the address on the card, he was met at the door by the man's wife, who told him that the man had died. And as they talked, she said to him, are you a Christian? And he said, yes, I am. And she answered, I am too, but I'm puzzled that God failed to answer my prayer of 20 years that my husband would be saved. Well, how long ago did he die, he asked. 
Well, he was killed two and a half years ago on his way home from a trip to Indiana. The young man then shared with her how God had used him on what was obviously that very trip to lead her husband to Christ, an event she had never had an opportunity to know about. He had died before he had arrived home. What a story. And what a, what a wonderful thing for that wife to, to learn this. What a great thing for that young man to have had that experience and now to come two and a half years later and find the, the rest of the story. You know, we need to be ready in season and out of season. Do the work of an evangelist. Be ready always to give an answer to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you and do it in meekness and fear. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this great gospel that you've given to us. This great message of redemption through Christ who bore our sins at Calvary, rose again, has ascended to your right hand for the Holy Spirit who has been promised, who has been given to us and has promised that as we lean on him, he will lead us in all of our ways. And I pray, Father, that and as I pray for these people, I pray for myself because the last thing I have wanted to do here in these moments is say, do it like I do it because I'm so faltering and I am so so weak in this matter of sharing my faith as well. But help us to be burdened for those who are lost in sin and to be serious, to be sober-minded, to be bold in proclaiming the gospel of your saving grace. Lord, I pray that these things that we've talked about today will be helpful to each one for your glory. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.